Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Did you know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month and that it's been observed in the United States since 1949? That is crazy. I had no idea that the conversation was even happening all the way back then. Obviously, psychology was happening, but just the wider conversation about mental health awareness is wonderful. I even had the opportunity in the midst of my conversation with today's guest to share about my own mental breakdown, meltdown, rock bottom, whatever you want to call it, in 2008, and uh, that was one heck of a year. And uh, I share a little bit about the Amen Clinic and how a brain scan and some meds have helped me find peace in my mind and life. So I want to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Michelle Dickinson, and she's worked in the pharmaceutical industry for over 18 years and is currently an associate director at Johnson & Johnson. She is the author of Breaking Into My Life, Growing Up with a Bipolar Parent and My Battle to Reclaim Myself. Now, her memoir offers a rare glimpse into a young person's experience living with and loving her own bipolar mother. And in the book, she describes that after years of playing the role of a child caregiver, she embarked on her own healing journey of self-discovery. So she now is out to raise awareness and compassion for those struggling with mental illness along with those who care for them. And her ultimate goal is that more people get treatment and the help that they need and deserve. So in today's episode, we learn about how Michelle's life was dramatically impacted by her mother's bipolar condition, the path that Michelle has walked in order to break free and reclaim herself, and how you can help a friend or family member who might be suffering. Now, of course, the link to purchase her book, which is called Breaking Into My Life, it's uh, on Amazon, and the link is in our show notes, which is on your phone or at our website, insporising.com. Okay, let's jump into my conversation with Michelle Dickinson. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we've heard about your book, which uses the term bipolar, and everybody has heard that term, but a lot of us don't necessarily know what that means. Could you describe what that disorder is? And then, you know, how did that uh, impact your own childhood because of your mom's condition? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I grew up relating to bipolar as manic depression. That's just the term that I, I was always told as a, as a child. But bipolar is also known as manic depression. So the two terms seem to have been used interchangeably. And it's a mental illness that brings um, severe highs and lows uh, in the mood. And then it also affects your sleep and your energy and your thinking and your behavior. So that my mom had had everything. She had um, severe depression. She had extreme mania. She had sleepless nights, many sleepless nights. Mm. She, um, you know, had rapid um, mood or mood and thoughts, like a lot of different thoughts that would happen that would cause her to go in a million different directions. Mm. Um, And so it was, it was just challenging to be with her. Um, How did it affect my mood? I would say, I learned very quickly as a young girl to read her mood and know how I needed to correspond with her. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Now, is she still, is she still alive? She's not. She passed away probably, I'd say a little over 10 years ago now. Okay. All right. And so what, at what point as you were growing up, did you realize that 
your mom was experiencing challenges where you, you know, when we grew up in a home, it's kind of like, this is just our home. It's like, isn't everybody's home like this? Right. Uh, at what point did you kind of realize, oh, this is, this is a little different. This is unique. Yeah, because it was my norm. It wasn't like I, I had a yardstick to compare it to, except for when I would go and spend time with my girlfriends and their, their mothers. And I would be able to see what like family dynamics look like and their relationship with their mother, um, which is very different than mine. So I, I was little when I recognized that my mom was crying a lot, was um, not doing anything in the home, which caused us to have to do a lot of, uh, you know, of the responsibilities that she normally would do. Um, and then, you know, when they took her away to the hospital, obviously I knew that this isn't normal for my mother to have to be hospitalized and she's physically appears to be physically okay. You know? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And was, so she was diagnosed at some point Was she a single mom or do you guys have a father in the yeah. home? Yeah. So my dad worked a lot. So it was, um, you know, he was often working you know, 40, 50 hours a week. And so it was just really um, my mom and I at home. And I had two cousins who lived with us for a period of time. So, um, yeah. And there would be these times when my father just had to go to work. He didn't want to lose his job. He was, you know, counting on the benefits for her health care. So, he, you know, he'd ask me to stay with her. And that was just something that I would do. I'd stay from school, stay home and, and look after her because she was just at that point where she was too fragile to be left alone, but yet not so severe that she needed to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. It was like that in between uh, periods. So. Yeah. And that's one of the unique dynamics that I know you talk about in the book is your role as a caregiver and how that that role becomes um, not something that kids or young people are looking to do, but kind of fall into oftentimes. How, yeah. how, how did you care for her and how did that impact you as you kind of look back over the course of your life? Yeah, you know, it shapes, you know, all the experiences of our childhood affect us and shape us. Um, you know, my, I, I am no different than anyone else. I'm sure everyone has something in their childhood that has shaped them, right? And mine just yeah, happened to my mother with bipolar disorder. So, you know, the way it shaped me, I would say, is I was very good at putting the needs of other people first, suppressing what I needed because what was always at the forefront of our home was keeping peace and keeping consistency for my mom as much as we could. So, you know, if there was something we needed or, or some type of upset within ourselves, I learned very quickly to suppress that, to not, to not, um, raise my hand and say, Hey, you know, I'm dealing with something because the needs of my mother always came first. Um, you know, so that shaped, that definitely shaped me, you know, but in, even at the end of the book, it, it shapes you in good and bad because at the end of the book, I write an epilogue about where I am able to reflect through many, many years of self-discovery work and therapy. I'm able to reflect on how her illness actually serves me. It serves me in my um, insatiable hunger to cause change uh, in the world of mental health. That would never have happened if I wasn't affected by that. I'm deeply compassionate for people. I, I don't want to see people suffer. I know what it's like to wake up every day and not be able to see the beauty in what's possible. So through my mother's eyes. So it's taught me a lot and it's empowered me. The experience has basically empowered me to cause real change. Mm hmm was there someone as you were growing up that you were able to talk to about this? Was it your dad or were there other people that you could kind of confide in and process or 
did you feel alone in the journey? You know, a lot of the times when I was really young, I did feel alone, although my godmother and my grandmother were two people who constantly checked in on me. So I wasn't completely isolated, but I never, like I saw them maybe once a month at best. Mm. And they, would, they would like on the side, he'd pull me aside and say, how are you doing? You know, how's mm-hmm. mom doing these days? Um, and, you know, I could share with them how, what I was dealing with and how she was doing. But it wasn't until my, I think I was in um, junior high when I found my youth group. And I write about this in the book. I write about my Catholic youth group because it was there that I found uh, a judgment-free community of friends who I felt safe disclosing the secret to because, Hmm. you know, kids can be mean. And I kept this as a secret. I didn't want anyone to know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found myself on a retreat and I found myself talking about it. And I found the outpouring of love and support from this community. And I felt huge boulder release because now at least people understood uh, what I was struggling with when I went home. Oftentimes as young people, we do want to hide those things that are, you know, we feel awkward about or don't know how to talk about, but that carries over into just mental health in general. You know, so, so much of our culture, we're becoming more and more aware of a need to become um, open about these things. But what's the impact if somebody's not able to talk about either someone in their family who has, has a mental challenge or if they're having challenges? What are, what's the result of not talking about it? You know, I think people tend to think that they are strong enough and they will muscle through it on their own. That isolation and that fear of judgment and that shame associated with having mental health is, um, is really like, that's the worst thing that we can do by not encouraging our young people to talk about it. You know, so when I get the opportunity to talk to young people, you know, the first thing I say is, you know, own your well-being, raise your hand and tell somebody, it doesn't have to be, you know, someone you don't feel comfortable with, but find that teacher, that counselor, that, you know, parent, maybe it's your girlfriend's mother. I confided in my girlfriend's mother all the time. You know, it, I felt safe with her, but keep talking and know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I also encourage them to look out for each other because they know their friends and if they're not quite right, and they know they can raise their hand and say, I think, you know, my friend is struggling um, and really support each other. Mm-hmm. And really when we're talking about mental health, there's a wide range of challenges that we can have. You're talking about a, you know, pretty um, severe issue of, of bipolar, um, yeah. but there's everything from uh, obsessive compulsive disorders to obviously depression, yeah. which is with all the challenges. I have two teenage kids. My kids are mm-hmm. 16 and 19 and they go through those challenges. Yeah. Um, and so we have found that uh, therapy is a huge help. We're big proponents of therapy in our family, great place to talk to somebody who's a third party that's trained in this area and also just as a safe place, you know, outside of the home. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, there's a lot of different things that people can be experiencing, not just high highs and low lows as, as exactly. And yeah. Exactly. I mean, anxiety, depression, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, uh, bulimia, anorexia, there's so many and, and they're all, um, you know, they're all debilitating and, and they all, you know, need to be discovered and addressed so people can, you know, reclaim their joy and enjoy their life. Mm-hmm. So basic, right? <laughs> right, right. 
You know, over 11 years ago, I went through kind of a rock bottom experience in my own life. And I ended up um, choosing to check myself into a mental health facility for three days. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely humbling, just absolutely humbling. Um, But I ended up getting stabilized to a place where afterward, I went and got a brain scan through the Amen Clinic, a gentleman who, uh, Dr. Daniel Amen wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. And they do an fMRI, which looks at the activity levels of your brain. And they noticed that my uh, basal ganglia was off the chart. In ter- they do a plus four to a minus four system in terms of their uh, plus four being overactive, negative four being super underactive. Basal ganglia, mine was like a plus four, like off the chart in terms of fight or flight, in terms of that anxiety. So I wasn't experiencing anxiety with, say, uh, panic attacks or something of that nature. It would be more of negative information came my way. I would want to retreat or amp up really strongly. And yeah. then with my cingulate, um, which is kind of the gear shifter, I guess, in your brain, I was at a plus two. And so I have this uh, insane ability to focus on things. Mm-hmm. And so they talked about uh, in the process that I have the brain of an entrepreneur, but it, it, yet it can be uh, really detrimental to relationships because of that, you know, overworking and that anxiety. So yeah. I, I actually got on some, a low level of anti-anxiety medication like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it allowed my brain to slow down so that, um, you know, my wife said, you're never going off that ever, ever, ever. <laughs> because I can be present in a conversation without thinking about all the other things in the back of my mind that I have to do. Um, so, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And so I tell people all the time, yes, I'm on meds. Yes, it has transformed my life. Um, that's not for everybody, but it's, you know, it's definitely helped me. And yeah. um, so... You know, that's great because I think a lot of people have a, have a false understanding of the medications that are available. You know, I do want to mention, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. The treatments that my mother had years and years ago were so different than they are now. Mm. Um, and the side effects were just so, um, discouraging that my mother would take herself off of medications. There's like, there, you know, medication and advancements have happened um, over the years. And, and I think people just need to not be afraid and just raise their hand and say, hey, what's available now that could help me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's meditation and there's other things that you Exercise. could do. It's not, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not only medication, but there are other vehicles that you can leverage. And I think people, more people need to be aware of that and not just think, you know, oh, I'm going to get this horrible, I'm going to get this horrible treatment that's going to, you know, be negative. So I think your example is a good one. So I assume that you wrote this book because it was a a healing, a cathartic experience. Yes. What are some of the other reasons, you know, that you wrote the book? Yeah, it started off that I wanted to write the book to tell my story. I'd always wanted to tell the story. Um, gosh, since I was little, I think I was probably, you know, I I don't know. I don't even know. Probably like in my, in my high school years, I said, I'm going to write a book, Uh, but I always wanted to write it because I knew, uh, people would just wouldn't believe it. First of all, I was like, they're never going to believe this. I can't believe I survived this and I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to write it from that perspective, but then as I started to write it and I started to 
relive those experiences, yes, it became incredibly cathartic, more cathartic than I ever thought it would because I had a, a great writing coach who would like really force me to vividly recall experiences that I chose to put on oh, far, far away. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to relive them and, it, you know, in a sense, be able to heal during the reliving of them. But then as I'm finishing the book, I'm getting even more and more motivated and inspired to use it as a platform to cause real change kind of like take your mess and make your message. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to like, I'm like, if this book can really help cause and make a difference and we can move a step away from a stigma that prevents so many people from getting care they deserve, I'm going to use it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. On the cover of the book are these beautiful butterflies. And I see butterflies in your office behind you. <laughs> Tell me about your love for butterflies. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, you know, it's the whole metamorphosis, right? It's the whole transformation. It's, it's, um, you know, the hands on the book are reaching up. I mean, for a reason because, and the, the hands being tied. I mean, I think that you have a choice in your life to be, to be shackled by your past experiences, um, and allow them to define and dictate how your future goes, or you have a choice to, you know, let that be the past and create a beautiful future. So when I think of a butterfly, I think of a beautiful transformation of, you know, someone, you know, who is basically in this incubation period for so long and I'm 47 now and I'm finally feeling like I can, I can break away and now do something with, with everything that I've experienced in my, you know, 40 some years on this planet. So it's all about the metamorphosis about the, you know, transformation and the beauty of it. Um, and what's possible. So you work for Johnson and Johnson as your day job and you are part of the mental health diplomats program. That's a mouthful. The Johnson and Johnson mental health diplomats (laughs) program. Yes, we got it. Uh, What is that all about? And how, how does that play a role in the world? It's an incredible group. Uh, So it was born out of one of our leaders we have a, TED, a TEDx J&J platform at, at J&J. And so one of our fearless leaders courageously told his story of his daughter and her attempt at suicide. Hmm. And from that came a groundswell of employees raising their hands going, I know someone, I have, I've been affected by mental health. I have a loved one who's got mental health issues. We need to talk about it. We need to eradicate the stigma within our own door within our own uh, walls Mm -hmm. and create a space for employees to really bring them themselves or whole selves to work and be authentic and have leaders who are compassionate and understand, you know, just the same as a visible disability, there are invisible disabilities. So what this is, is a grassroots kind of employee self uh, voluntary organ like group within it's an employee resource group. We have several of them at J and J but this is an employee resource group that's global um, that you have members from across the globe who have raised their hands to say, I want to be part of the change. I want to be part of building a community of support and causing real change within J and J. So we don't have a stigma where we work. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you guys do to help drop that stigma? Absolutely. So, you know, World Mental Health Day is a very big day for us. We have camp, we have chapters across the globe. So we raise awareness at our, at our campuses. We share our, 
employee resource, um, I'm sorry, our employee um, assistance uh, information. If people know where they can go and get help and support. We, we share our own stories. We have many employees who've courageously started to just, you know, come out and say, I, I live with depression and this is, mm. this is my life. And that creates an immediate relatedness with each other. It's so powerful. People really get that they're not alone and that their own peer is struggling. And what happens when we come together and we talk about it and we can support each other. Mm-hmm. And then we, um, we have subgroups, right? So all of us are affected by, will be affected, right? I think the statistics are, we will all be affected by some type of a mental Ill, mental health challenge in our lifetime. Um, so we have subgroups. We have, you know, everything from depression to PTSD to eating disorders. So we have these subgroups where if you want to connect with other employees who've navigated this, navigated our employee resources, navigated their own personal experience, you can plug into that group and you can get additional support if, uh, if you need it. So it's really a powerful thing. And I'm so proud to be part of it because we're really helping each other. That is great. I know you also have written what you call Perfect Just the Way You Are. It's a program that you've developed for students. Yes. Uh, t- tell us about that program and how you are seeing that implemented. Yeah. So, so I created Perfect Just the Way You Are out of my own deficits of my own childhood. Um, you know, one of the things with having a mom with a mental illness is, you know, she's absent from, you know, being your uh, supporter and reminding you that you have potential and that you have the ability to do whatever you want and that you're perfect just the way you are. So I found myself in a leadership development program with um, Landmark Education and I was developing the framework to this program. It was the question was if you could change the world, what would it, what would you do? And for me, it was gosh, I would want kids to know that they were perfect, whole, and complete just as they are, mm-hmm. and they can do whatever they want. So I developed it in that program and then bought it to J&J and um, they took it on. And so what that program is, is designed to be an after-school program or a wellness fair. And we teach children how to nourish their body, how to nourish their mind, and then leadership skills. Hmm. So, you know, everything from, you know, bolstering self-esteem, teaching what grat- the importance of having gratitude, um, bucket filling, having empathy and compassion for one another, um, you know, the importance of good nutrition and exercise and, and then, uh, leadership skills and, and the sense of team and all of that good stuff. So yeah, it's been running for several years. We're excited. It keeps growing. That's great. And so if there's a school, a teacher or a principal, or even a parent who's listening that wants to bring that program to their school, how might they go about doing that? They could they could um, reach out to me through my my website, and I'm happy to to connect with them. So my website for my book is where they would go. It's www.breakingintomylife all one word dot com, and you can connect with me there. You can also get a free excerpt of my book if you're interested in in reading a little bit about what what I what I share in that story. Of course, yeah, we will definitely listen list that in all of our show notes and on social media. Um, you have a sign behind you, not that I'm snooping, but it says <laughs> she created a life she loved. Mm. So I'm not sure you loved your life <laughs> back in the day, the way right. that you're, as we continue to love our lives. Right. What do you, what do you love about your life right now? Mm. That I found my purpose more than anything. There's such a 
a peace and tranquility that comes with knowing that you've finally found out what your purpose of being on this planet is. And mine is to make a difference mm. with around mental health. So I think that, and, um, you know, the motivation and ambition I have to drive that forward every day. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you manage having a, probably a more than full-time job mm-hmm. and this purpose that you've discovered or uncovered in your life, not to say that those are mutually exclusive because I'm, you know, they're connected. I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what you do with Johnson and Johnson, but how do you manage that? You know, cause a lot of people have that they go, well, I've got to pay the bills and mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't been able to leverage my, you know, newly discovered purpose into paying the bills. How do you, how do you kind of process that in your mind? Well, you know, there's a lot of hours outside of work. <laughs> there are weekends, there are evenings, and there's early mornings. <laughs> so I try really hard to, you know, work on my, my initiatives for my passion um, outside of, outside of my working day. Um, but like, I loved, I love my company and I love the people I get to work with. And I love so much of the mental health conversation that's happening within my company. Um, so there's like, a, there's an intimate connection there too. So it's not like, I don't see these like exclusive, like totally separate. Sure. Um, but, uh, you, you know, the, the saying is true. If you want something and love something, you will find the time. And I find the time if it's, if it means an entire weekend of working on scheduling a podcast or whatever I'm working on, I'm building a website right now. So maybe it's, maybe it's that most of the time now you make the time you do what you have to do. So I think you get energy. Personally, I get energy from, from, from that. It's not like it's a dream. So yeah, that's great. So last question, if somebody is experiencing some challenges, whether it's their own challenges or someone else's challenges, how would you encourage them or encourage them to take action today somehow? Yeah. So first of all, it's so easy to keep people at arm's length and to say, they'll work it out. I'm just going to kind of go over here. You know, your gut is telling you maybe you should do something and look away. Don't look away. Don't look away. They love you. You love them and you, you know that they need support. So I would say, um, if it's for a loved one, I'll start there. Well, if it's for yourself and you're not quite sure, cause I think a lot of people go, Oh, well, I'm struggling, but like, I'm not that bad. Check out the NAMI website and get clear if you're struggling with signs and symptoms of something like a, like a depression, like they have a checklist for that. So really, really start to evaluate yourself. And then if you feel like you, you know, um, you need help of some sort, like just keep the conversation alive. So this goes for if you're caring for someone or if you think it's yourself, keep talking. So when I say keep talking, people right away go, you know, I'm not comfortable talking to someone I love. There's a great resource I'm going to share called 18percent.org. And it represents 18% of Americans struggle with a mental illness. It's the number 18percentwrittenout.org. It is a free online peer-to-peer community you can put on your phone and you can log in anonymously and you can just engage in a conversation with people who may have struggled with what you're struggling with Mm -hmm. and you can learn from them what they did if they decided to seek treatment if they decided to talk to someone what did they do to navigate that um, so that you don't feel so isolated and alone 
And I think that's the first step that you could do is just start talking and start connecting. And you might get more comfortable with the idea of actually seeking treatment if you're not there yet. So I would definitely say that. And, um, and you know, if you have someone that you don't know how to approach them, I'm the first person, you know, to say, create a safe space for them, you know, just be with them, just listen to them, maybe share something about a time when you were depressed or had your own anxiety create an opening for them that if they want to share, they, they will, um, and, and ask, be, you know, be, be courageous and ask, how are you doing? You know, as simple as how are you doing? You know, people need to hear that and need to know that they're cared for and, um, feel safe and, and willing, you know, eventually to talk to you. That's great. Well, Michelle, thank you for sharing about your book and about your life and your story. I admire what you're doing. And so awesome that what Johnson and Johnson is doing and that you get to be a part of that. So we will definitely um, point people toward your book and your website, breakingintomylife.com. And we'll also put the other resources down the NAMI website as well as the 18%. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. The link to purchase Michelle's book, Breaking Into My Life, Growing Up With a Bipolar Parent and My Battle to Reclaim Myself is in the show notes on your phone. And it's also in the show notes on our website at insporising.com. Now, one of the things that continues to help my own mental health is meditation. And I'd like to share with you five short meditations that I've recorded just for you. You can find them at insporising.com slash five minutes. That's insporising.com slash five minutes because they're only five minutes each. We're all busy. This whole meditation for 30, 60 minutes, hey, maybe you can do it, but the average woman has five minutes that she can spare for her own self-care and mental health. So sign up and I'll send you five-minute meditations for five days in a row, and I think you'll feel the difference. I really do. Go to insporising.com slash five minutes. All right, talk to you next time. Have a great week.